17. I see art from life, dissatisfied with herself, although her somnambulist gained a prize, Miss Rise left Moscow for Paris, but on her way stayed in Vienna, studying under Professor Helmer, one year later, at the Vienna Spring Exhibition, she exhibited her dihex, here is no traditional witch, though the broomstick on which she will ride through the air is an evidence, she is a demoniac being, knowing her own power, and full of devilish instinct. The marble is full of life, and one seems to feel the warmth of her delicate, powerfully chiseled, though soft and pliable limbs. Dion Vizek Marine is a most powerful work, and stood out in the midst of the sculpture at Paris in 1900 with the prominence imparted by unusual power in the perception of the whole of a subject and the skill to render the perception so that others realize its full meaning. There are four figures in this group men drawing a heavy freight boat along the shore by means of a tow line passed round their bodies, on which they throw their weight in such a way that their legs, pressed together, lose their outline except in the case of the leader and are as a mass of power. They also pull on the line with their hands. The leader bends over the rope until he looks down, the man behind him raises his head and looks up with an appealing expression, the two others behind are exerting all their force in pulling on the rope but have twisted the upper part of the body in order to look behind and watch the progress of their great burden. There is not the least resemblance of one to the other, either in feature or expression, and to me it would seem that the woman who had conceived and executed this group might well be content to rest on her laurels. But an artistic creator who is really inspired with his art and not with himself is never satisfied, he presses on and on sometimes after he has expressed the best of his talent. This is not yet reached. I believe, by Miss Rice, and we shall see still greater results of her inspiration. The Austrian government commissioned this artist to execute the figure of a saint. One may well prophesy that there will be nothing conventional in this work. She has already produced a striking, Saint Barbara. Her portrait busts include those of Professor Weger, Professor Helmer, Mark Twain, Countess Kinsky, Countess Pauls, Baron Berger, and many others. Alisa, a bronze and a gold medal at the Beatrice Exposition, Florence, 1890, born in Florence, where she resides and devotes herself to painting in imitation of old tapestries. An excellent example of her work is in watercolors and is called, The Gardener's Children. In 1888 and 1889 she exhibited, The Coronation of Esther, and a picture of, Oleanders, Roberts, Elizabeth Wentworth, No Reply to Circular, Robinson. Mrs. Imogene Morrill, medals at the Mechanics Fair, Boston, and at the Centennial Exhibition, Philadelphia, 1876, born in Elbro, Massachusetts, pupil of Kanthausen in Dusseldorf, and of Couture in Paris, where she resided several years. Among her important works are, the first battle between the Puritans and Indians, and, Washington and his staff welcoming a provision train, both at Philadelphia. Mrs. Morrill continued to sign her pictures with her maiden name, Imogene Robinson. A critic of the New York Evening Post said of her pictures at Philadelphia, In the painting of the horses Mrs. Morrill has shown great knowledge of their action, and their finish is superb. The work is painted with great strength throughout, and its solidity and forcible treatment will be admired by all who take an interest in revolutionary history. In the drawing of the figures of Standish and the chief at his side, and the dead and dying savages, there is a fine display of artistic power, and the grouping of the figures is masterly. In color the works are exceedingly brilliant. Harobi Marietta, born in Venice, 
1560-1590, the parentage of this artist would seem to promise her talent and ensure its culture. She was the daughter of Jacopo Robusti, better known as Il Tintoretto, who has been called the founder of art and who avowed his ambition to equal the drawing of Michelangelo and the coloring of Titian. The portrait of Marietta Robusti proves her to have been justly celebrated for her beauty. Her face is sweet and gentle in expression. She was sprightly in manner and full of enthusiasm for anything that interested and attracted her. She had a good talent for music and a charming voice in singing. Her father's fondness for her made him desire her constant companionship and at times he permitted her to dress as a boy and share with him certain studies that she could only have made in this disguise. Tintoretto carefully cultivated the talents of his daughter, and some of the portraits she painted did her honor. That of Marco de Ivescovi first turned public attention to her artistic merits. The beard was especially praised and it was even said by good judges that she equaled her father. Indeed, her works were so enthusiastically esteemed by some critics that it is difficult to make a just estimate of her as an artist, but we are assured of her exquisite taste in the arrangement of her pictures and of the rare excellence of her coloring. It soon became the fashion in the aristocratic circles of Venice to sit for portraits to this fascinating artist. Her likeness of Jacopo Strata, the antiquarian, was considered a worthy gift for the Emperor Maximilian and a portrait of Marietta was hung in the chamber of His Majesty, Maximilian, Philip II, of Spain, and the Archduke Ferdinand, each in turn invited Marietta to be the painter of his court, Tintoretto could not be induced to be separated from his daughter, and the honors she received so alarmed him that he hastened to marry her to Mario Augusti, a wealthy German jeweler, upon the condition that she should remain at home. But the monarch who asks no consent and heeds no refusal claimed this daughter so beloved. She died at thirty, and it is recorded that both her father and her husband mourned for her so long as they lived. Marietta was buried in the church of Santa Maria del Orde, where, within sight of her tomb, are several of her father's pictures. Tintoretto painting his daughter's portrait after her death has been the subject of pictures by artists of various countries and has lost nothing of its poetic and pathetic interest in the three centuries and more that have elapsed since that day when the brave old artist painted the likeness of all that remained to him of his idolized child, Rocky, Linda, born in Florence, she resides in Geneva, two of her flower pieces, in watercolor, were seen at the Fine Arts Exposition, Milan, 1881, in 1883, also in Milan, she exhibited a wedding garland, Hawthorne, etc., the constantly increasing brilliancy of her work was shown in three pictures, Flowers in Watercolors, seen at the Milan Exposition, 1886, to Vienna, 1887, she sent four pictures of wild flowers, which were much admired, Rocco, Lily Rosalia, Honorable Mention, a bronze medal, and four silver medals were accorded this artist at the Institute of Fine Arts in Naples, where she studied from 1880 to 1886 and was also a pupil of Solari, born in Mozzara del Vallo, Sicily, 1863. In 1886 she exhibited, at Naples, Cari Fiori, at Palermo, Flora and in Rome, a Sicilian Condigna. In 1888 her picture, Spring, was exhibited in London. Two of her works were in the Simonetti Exposition, 1889, one being a marine view from her birthplace. She has painted many portraits both in oils and watercolors, 
and has been appointed a teacher in at least two government schools in Naples, Parodiaene, Olenoiradiae, was a contemporary of the saintly Caterina di Vigri, but was of quite another order of women. She had one quality which, if not always attractive, at least commands attention. She was unique, since we know of no other woman who was at the same time a successful artist and a valiant soldier, born in Castellone, near Cremona, early in the 15th century. She was known as a reputable artist while still young, and was commissioned to decorate the palace of the tyrant, Gabrino Fanglo, at Cremona. The girlish painter was beautiful in person, frank and engaging in manner, and most attractive to the gentlemen of the tyrant's court. One day when alone and absorbed in the execution of a wall painting, a dissolute young noble addressed her with insulting freedom. She could not escape, and in the struggle which ensued she drew a dagger and stabbed her assailant to the heart. Rushing from the palace, she disguised herself in male attire and fled to the mountains, where she joined a company of condottieri. She soon became so good a soldier that she was made an officer of the band. Fanlo raged as tyrants are wont to do, both on account of the murder and of the escape. He vowed the direst vengeance on Honorata if ever she were again in his power. Later, when his anger had cooled and he had no other artist at command who could worthily complete her decorations, he published her pardon and summoned her to return to his service. Honorata completed her work, but her new vocation held her with a potent spell, and henceforth she led a divided life never entirely relinquishing her brush, and remaining always a soldier. When Castellone was besieged by the Venetians, Honorata led her band thither and was victorious in the defense of her birthplace. She was fatally wounded in this action and died soon after. In the midst of the men and women whose homes she had saved, they loved her for her bravery and deeply mourned the sacrifice of her life. Few stories from real life are so interesting and romantic as this, yet little notice has been taken of Honorata's talent or of her prowess, while many less spirited and unusual lives have been commemorated in prose and poetry. Rodriguez de Toro, Luisa, Honorable Mention, Madrid, 1856 for a picture of Queen Isabel the Catholic reading with Doña Beatriz de Galindo, Honorable Mention, 1860, for her, Boabdil returning from prison, born in Madrid, a descendant of the Counts of Los Villars, and wife of the Count of Mirasol, pupil of Carlos Ribera, Ronner, Madame, Henriette, medals and honorable mentions and elections to academies have been showered on Madame, Ronner all over Europe, the King of Belgium decorated her with the cross of the Order of Leopold, Born in Amsterdam in 1821, the grandfather of this artist was Nicholas Frederick Nip, a flower painter, her father, Josephus Augustus Nip, a landscape painter, went blind, and after this misfortune was the teacher of his daughter, her aunt, for whom she was named, received medals in Paris and Amsterdam for her flower pictures. What could Henriette Nip do except paint pictures? Hers was a clear case of predestination, at all events. Almost from babyhood she occupied herself with her pencil, and when she was twelve years old her blind father began to teach her. Even at six years of age it was plainly seen that she would be a painter of animals. When sixteen she exhibited a cat in a window, and from that time was considered a reputable artist. In 1850 she was married and settled in Brussels. From this time for fifteen years she painted dogs almost without exception. Her picture called, Friend of Man, was exhibited in 1850. It is her most famous work and represents an old sand seller, whose dog, 
still harnessed to the little sand wagon, is dying, while two other dogs are looking on with well-defined sympathy. It is a most pathetic scene, wonderfully rendered. About 1870 she devoted herself to pictures of cats, in which specialty of art she has been most important. In 1876, however, she sent to the Philadelphia Exposition a picture of Setter Dogs. A cart drawn by dogs is in the museum at Hanover, Dog and Pigeon. In the Staten Museum, coming from market is in a private collection in San Francisco. Madame, Ronner has invented a method of posing cats that is ingenious and of great advantage. To the uninitiated it would seem that one could only take the portrait of a sleeping cat. So untiring are the little beasts in their gymnastic performances. But Madame, Ronner, having studied them with infinite patience, proceeded to arrange a glass box, in which, on a comfortable cushion, she persuades her cats to assume the positions she desires. This box is enclosed in a wire cage, and from the top of this she hangs some cat attraction, upon which the creature bounds and shows those wonderful antics that the artist has so marvelously reproduced in her painting. Madame, Ronner has two favorite models, Jim and Monmouth. The last name is classical. Since the cat of Mother Michelle has been made immortal, Miss Winslow, in Concerning Cats, says that Madame Ronner excels all other cat painters, living or dead. She not only infuses a wonderful degree of life into her little figures, but reproduces the shades of expression, shifting and variable as the sands of the sea, as no other artist of the brush has done, asleep or awake. Her cats look to the felinarian like cats with whom he or she is familiar. Curiosity, drowsiness, indifference, alertness, love, hate, anxiety, temper, innocence, cunning, fear, confidence, mischief, earnestness, dignity, helplessness they are all in Madame Ronner's cat's faces, just as we see them in our own cats. It is but a short time ago that Madame Ronner was still painting in Brussels, and had not only cats, but a splendid black dog and a cockatoo to bear her company. While her son is devoted to her, her house is large and her grounds pleasant, and her fourscore years did not prevent her painting several hours a day, and, like some other ladies of whom we know, she was eighty years young. The editor of the magazine of art, M. H. Spielman, in an article on the Royal Academy Exhibition, 1903, writes, What the dog is to Mr. Riviere, to Madame Ronner is the cat, with what an erring truth she records delightful kittenly nature the feline nobility of dog the indifference to human approval or discontent, the subtlety of expression, and drawing of heads and bodies, the exact quality and tone of the fur, the expressive eloquence of the tail, with all her eighty years, Madame Ronner's hand, vision, and sensibility have not diminished, only her sobriety of color seems to have increased, her pictures of this year were called, The Ladybird and Coaxing, to the exhibition of the Beaux-Arts in Brussels, 1903. Madame, Ronner sent pictures of cats, full of life and mischief, Parolorosian Bioem, Marguerite Vogel, second class medal, Munich, 1892, born in 1843 and died in 1896, near the Hague, she spent a large part of her life near Utrecht, devoting herself mainly to the painting of flowers, one of her works is in the Royal Museum at Amsterdam, and another in the Museum at Breslau, Rope, Ellen M. This English sculptor executed four large panels for the women's building at the Chicago Exhibition. They represented faith, hope, charity, and heavenly wisdom. They are now in the ladies' dwelling.
Cherry Street, London. A. Memorial, I her is in Salisbury Cathedral. Her reliefs of children are, however, her best works, that of A. Boy on a Dolphin, is most attractive. Christ Blessing Little Children, is charmingly rendered. At the Academy, 1903, she exhibited a panel for an organ chamber, in low relief. Rosa, A. and I. L. A. D. I. 1613-1649, a pupil in Naples of Stanziani, who, by reason of her violent death, has been called the Neapolitan Cyrene. She acquired a good reputation as a historical painter and doubtless had unusual talent, but as she worked in conjunction with Stanziani and with her husband, Agostino Beltrano, it is difficult to speak of works entirely her own. Two pictures that were acknowledged to be hers represented the birth and death of the Virgin, these were appraised and were at one time in a church in Naples, but in a recent search for them I was unable to satisfy myself that the pictures I saw were genuine. Another pupil in the studio of Stanziani was the Beltrano whom Agnella married, he painted in fresco, Agnella in oils, and they were frequently employed together. The fine picture of San Biagio, in the church of Santa Maria della Sanita, was one of their joint works. Their early married life was very happy, but Agnella was beautiful and Beltrano grew jealous, it is said without cause, through the influence of the woman who loved him and hated Agnella, and in spite of the efforts she made to marry her husband's confidence, his distrust of her increased, her base rival, by her art and falsehood, finally succeeded in convincing Beltrano that Agnella was unworthy, and in his rage he fatally stabbed her. When, at 36, she was in the prime of her beauty and talent. She survived long enough to convince her husband of her innocence and to pardon him for his crime. But he fled from Italy and lived the life of an outcast during ten years. He then returned to Naples, where after seven years, tormented by remorse, death came to his release. Domenici generously praised the works of Agnella, and quoted her master, Stanziani, as saying that she was the equal of the best painters of her time. Rossi, Piero Piarziade, born in Bologna, 1490-1530. This artist was the first woman to succeed as a sculptor whose works can still be seen. Pupil of Raimondi, she was more or less influenced by Tribolo, in the church of San Petronio, in her native city, in the 11th chapel, is a beautiful bas relief of two angels, executed by Properzia. They are near Tribolo's ascension. A relief and a portrait bust in the same church are also ascribed to her. Her first work in sculpture was a minute representation of the crucifixion on a peach stone. The executioners, women, soldiers, and disciples were all represented in this infinitesimal space. She also inserted in a coat of arms a double-headed eagle in silver filigree, eleven peach stones on each side, one set representing eleven apostles with an article of the creed underneath. The other said eleven virgins with the name of a saint and her special attribute on each. Some of these intaglios are still in a private collection in Bologna. At length Properzia saw the folly of thus belittling her talent, and when the facade of San Petronio was to be enriched with sculpture she asked for a share in the work and presented a bust she had made as a pledge of her ability, she was appointed to execute a portion of the decorations. She made a bas relief, the subject being Joseph and Potiphar's wife which Vizari called, a lovely picture, sculptured with womanly grace, and more than admirable. By this time the jealousy of other artists was aroused, 
and a story was diligently repeated to the effect that Propersia loved a young nobleman who did not care for her, and that the above work, so much admired, represented her own passion. Albertini and other artists waged an absolute crusade against her, and so influenced the superintendents of the church that Propersia was obliged to leave the work and her relief was never put in place. Through mortification and grief her health failed, and she died when but forty years old. In spite of her persecution she was known in all Italy, not only for her sculpture, but for her copper plate engraving and etching. When Pope Clement VII went to Bologna for the coronation of Charles V he asked for Propersia, only to hear that she had been buried that very week. Her story has been told by Vasari and other writers. She was handsome, accomplished in music, distinguished for her knowledge of science, and withal a good and orderly housewife. Well calculated to awaken the envy, not of women only, but also of men, Canova ardently admired the work of Propersia that remained in his day, and esteemed her early death as one of the chief misfortunes to the advance of the fine arts in Italy. Herodike, Baroness Hanna, born at Tremoitz in 1857, she studied portrait painting under Blas, Swords, and Trentino, and has worked principally in Vienna. Her portrait of Freyer von Sternick is in the Military Academy at Wiener Neustadt. Rotter, Madame, D. This lady has made an art of her embroidery, and may be said to have revived this decorative specialty and to have equaled the ancient productions which are so beautiful and valuable. After her marriage to the well-known sculptor this gifted couple began their collaboration. M.P. Varnil, in brush and pencil, November, 1903, writes, the first result of this joint work was shown in 1894 at the Exposition Circle Poor Lord, in the form of a panel, called The Eagle and the Swan. It was exhibited afterward at the Secession in Vienna, where it was purchased by a well-known amateur and connoisseur. Other works were produced in succession, each more interesting than its predecessor, not daunted by difficulties that would have discouraged the most ambitious and audacious craftswoman, Madame. De Rotter took for a subject the fates, to decorate a screen. Aside from the artistic interest attaching to this work, it is remarkable for another quality. The artist yielded to the instinctive liking that she had for useful art. She ornamented a useful article and in mastering the technical difficulties of her work she created the new method called re-embroidery. For the dresses of her fates ancient silks were utilized for a background. Some of the pieces had moth holes which necessitated the addition of supplementary ornamental motives, embroidered on cloth to conceal the defects. The discovery of re-embroidery was the result of this enforced expedient. This screen, finished in 1896, was exhibited at the Circle Artistique, Brussels, where the mayor, M. Bules, sought it. Realizing the possibilities of the method and the skill of the artist, he gave an order to Madame de Rotter to decorate the marriage hall of the Hotel de Ville. This order was delivered in 1896. During this period Madame de Rotter worked feverishly. About the same time that the order for the Hotel de Ville was given, she received from Ervan Isendic, architect of the Hotel Provincial in Ghent, a commission to design and embroider six large allegorical panels. One of them represented wisdom in the habiliments of Minerva, modernized, holding an olive branch. The five others were justice, holding a thistle symbolizing law, eloquence, crowned with roses and holding a lyre, strength, bending an oak branch, truth, crushing a serpent and bearing a mirror and some lilies, and prudence, with the horn of plenty and some holly, 
These six panels are remarkable for the beautiful decorative feeling that suffuses their composition. The tricks of workmanship are varied, and all combine to give a wonderful effect. Contrary to the form of presenting the fates, all the figures are draped. Her next important commission was for eight large panels, intended to decorate the Congo Free State Department in the Brussels Exposition. These panels represent the triumph of civilization over barbarism, and are now in the museum at Tervueren. They are curious in their symbols of fetishism, and have an attraction that one can scarcely explain. The above are but a part of her important works, and naturally, when not absorbed by these, Madame de Roder executes some smaller pieces which are marvels of patience in their exquisite detail. Perhaps her panels of the Four Seasons may be called her chef d'oeuvre. The writer quoted above also says, to Madame de Roder must be given the credit for the interpretation of work demanding large and varied decorative effect, while in the creation of true artistic composition she easily stands at the head of the limited coterie of men and women who have mastered this delicate and difficult art. She is a leader in her peculiar craft. Rude, Madame, Sophia Fariamini, 1797-1867, medal at Paris Salon, 1833, born in Dijon. This artist painted historical and genre subjects as well as portraits. Her picture of the Sleeping Virgin, 1831, and that of the Arrest of the Duchess of Burgundy in Bruges, 1841, are in the Dijon Museum. Are you YSCH? Rachel. The perfection of flower painting is seen in the works of Rachel Reisk, the daughter of a distinguished professor of anatomy. She was born at Amsterdam in 1664. She was for a time a pupil of William Van Ilst, but soon studied from nature alone. Some art critics esteem her works superior to those of Gehim and Van Wiesum. Let that be as it may. The pictures with which she was no doubt dissatisfied when they passed from her hand more than two centuries ago are greatly valued today and her genius is undisputed. When 30 years old Rachel Rice married the portrait painter, Julian Van Poole, she bore him ten children, but in the midst of all her cares she never laid her brush aside. Her reputation extended to every court of Europe. She received many honors, and was elected to the Academical Society at The Hague. She was received with distinguished courtesies on the two occasions when she visited Dusseldorf. The Elector John of Falls appointed her painter at his court, and beyond paying her generously for her pictures, bestowed valuable gifts on her. The Elector sent several of her works to the Grand Duke of Tuscany and to other distinguished rulers of that day. The advance of years in no wise dulled her powers. Her pictures painted when 80 years old are as delicately finished as those of many years earlier. She died when 86, respected by the great, beloved even by her rivals, praised by all who knew her. The pictures by Rachel Reisk are honorably placed in many public galleries, in those of Florence and Turin, as well as at Amsterdam, The Hague, Berlin, Dresden, Vienna, and Munich. They are much valued, although these pictures are characterized by extreme delicacy of touch, softness, and lightness. This artist knew how so to combine these qualities as to impart an effect of strength to her painting. Her rendering of separate flowers was exquisite, and her roses, either by themselves or combined with other flowers, are especially beautiful. She painted fruits in perfection, and the insects and butterflies which she sometimes added are admirably executed. The chief criticism that can be made of her pictures is that she was less skillful in the grouping of her flowers than in their painting. Many of her works are in private galleries, especially in Holland. They are rarely sold, 
in London, about 30 years ago. A small, bouquet of flowers with insects, was sold for more than $2,000, and is now of double that value. Her pictures have the same clearness and individuality that are seen in her portrait, in which she has short hair, a simple low-cut dress, with a necklace of beads about the throat. Sauls, Adelheid, born in Dresden, 1825, died in Paris, 1890, pupil of Bernhard and Jacquand. She established her studio in Paris. Many of her works are in museums, Elijah in the Desert, at Lyon, the legend of the Illus Camps, at Nîmes, the village maiden, at Grenoble, field flowers, at Heber, etc. She also painted portraits and historical subjects, among which are, Psyche in Olympus, the daughters of Jerusalem in the Babylonian captivity, and the, daughter of Jerus. She was a sister of Epiroki Wagner, Sartain, Emily, medal at Philadelphia Exhibition. 1876, Mary Smith Prize at the Pennsylvania Academy for Best Painting by a Woman, in 1881 and 1883, born in Philadelphia, 1841, Miss Sartain has been the principal of the Philadelphia School of Design for Women since 1886, she studied engraving under her father, John Sartain, and with Luminize in Paris, she engraved and etched book illustrations and numerous larger prints. She is also a painter of portraits and genre pictures, and has exhibited at the Salon de Beaux-Arts, Paris. Miss Sartain has been appointed as delegate from the United States to the International Congress on Instruction in Drawing to be held at Berlin next August. Her appointment was recommended by the Secretary of the Interior, the United States Commissioner of Education, and Professor J. H. Gore. Miss Sartain has also received letters from Switzerland from Emily and Jean President of the Swiss Commission, begging her to accept the appointment. Schaffer, Maria, First Class Medal, Bainey Marenti, Romania, born in Dresden, 1854. Her first studies were made in Darmstadt under A. Noack, later she was a pupil of Buddy and Bauer in Dusseldorf, and finally of Eisenberger in Vienna. After traveling in Italy in 1879, she settled in Darmstadt. She made several beautiful copies of Holbein's Madonna one for the king of Romania, and one as a gift from the city of Darmstadt to the Tsarina Alexandra. Among her most excellent portraits are those of Friedrich von Schmidt and his son Henry. Several of her religious paintings ornament German churches, St. Elizabeth, is at Edenkopf. Mary's departure from the tomb of Christ, is at Meerstein, and, Christ with St. Louis and St. Elizabeth, and a rosary picture are in the Catholic Church at Darmstadt. Schether, Caroline. The daughter of Ari Lamb and wife of J.B. Sheffer was an artist in the last decades of the 18th century. But the special interest connected with her is the fact that she was the mother of Ari and Henry Sheffer. From her artistic standpoint she had an appreciation of what was needed for the benefit of her sons. She took them to Paris to study, devoted herself entirely to their welfare, and died in Paris in 1839. S.C.H.L.E.H. Anna, born in Berlin. 1833. Her principal studies were made in her native city under Schroeder, although she went to Rome in 1868, and finally took up her residence there. She had, previous to her work in Rome, painted The Marys at the Grave. Her later pictures include The Citron Vendor and a number of portraits for the Henkel family of Donnersmark. Schmidt S.C.H.E.N.K.H. Maria, born in Baden, 1837. She studied her art in Munich. Karlsruhe, and Italy. She established herself in Munich and painted pictures for churches, 
which are in Kurlach, Mauer, Zegelhausen, and other German towns. She also designed church windows, especially for the Liebfrauenkirche at Karlsruhe. Schumann, Anna Maria, was called by the Dutch poets their Sappho and their Corneille. She was born in 1607, but as her family were Protestants and frequently changed their residence in order to avoid persecution, the place of her birth is unknown. When Anna Maria was eight years old, they went permanently to Utrecht. This distinguished woman was one of the exceptions said to prove rules. For though a prodigy in childhood she did not become a commonplace or stupid woman, learning was her passion and art her recreation. It is difficult to repeat what is recorded of her unusual attainments and not feel as if one were being misled by a Munchausen. But it would be ungracious to lessen a fame almost three centuries old. We are told that Anna Maria could speak in Latin when seven years old, and translated from Seneca at ten. She acquired the Hebrew, Greek, Samaritan, Arabic, Chaldaic, Syriac, Ethiopian, Tiyu, 